We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Highlights from another FFPC main event draft out of the 11 hole. That's what we're talking about on these episodes of Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yardsburg-Gretsch. Find my substack at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel, who you can find at Rotoviz. Sean, we're doing another draft. We're doing some really weird stuff on it. We took three running backs to start. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't love the 11-hole listeners who, who heard our other draft out of the out of the nine hole on september 3rd this is a september 4th draft we added to hope to get something in the first half of drafts since both of us even on drafts that we're not doing together continue to get a lot of 9 10 and 11 picks and now we're approaching the 9 10 turn we started saquon jonathan taylor deandre swift and then we switched over to receiver t higgins lavisca chanel juju Noah Fanton, Jalen Waddle. We've built in some upside at receiver. We're not feeling too horrible about where we are at. At the same time, we're going to keep making these these wide receiver swings. Obviously, that's sort of the whole thing with this early running back build. Is it's going to be about wide receiver depth. It is, and obviously, we believe in zero RB. We believe in modified zero RB. Almost all of our drafts are structured that way, but I do have some content on the site for listeners who do want to be more running back heavy. And there are some ways to play it that maybe aren't quite as good, but your player selections also matter. And we've talked about how those three running backs we think are way below where they should be. If you're going to draft out of a draft slot that maybe isn't as favorable, you want to do some of these things where you can take advantage of the players that you like and then come back and get some of the other players you like. Because there are some wide receivers in this range that we are pretty fond of. Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore, we think that those rookies could be the breakout players of 2021. So as we wrap back around into the 9-10 turn, DJ Chart comes off the board. That's too bad in some ways, but we are... Uh, we have a little bit of a buy issue in week seven. We already have Liska Chenault, so that's probably something that works out just as well. I think that the three guys that we're kind of looking at for this turn are Jarvis Landry, who we kind of didn't take Odell Beckham earlier because Landry is going to be sitting here late, and I think is a similar play at a much better value. And then Elijah Moore we love, Rondell Moore we love. Probably neither player is going to come back at the in the 11th round. And so we're sitting here. Do you want to get both rookies? We're one pick away. Obviously, any of these three guys could go. One of the two of them could go, obviously, at the turn right between us. How should we play this first pick? It's really tough because at the turn, the drafter has taken three tight ends already, three running backs, only has two receivers. They're going to go receiver. Fuller's off the board. That's a name that we mentioned in the the last episode, potentially being here. Michael Gallup went. You know, A lot of the other guys you'd expect have gone Michael Thomas. So these are our, our three targets. What do, we, what do we have on ADPs for him? This is right where Landry goes. It's about a round, half a round early for Elijah Moore, a little more than a round early for Rondell, but none of them will come back. Well, maybe we should lock in Landry then, and, and then we take our rookie pick. Do you, do you feel comfortable with that? Yeah, I like it. And I think getting some exposure to Landry here, I mean, I remember the article on Robert Woods, and I think that Robert Woods is a fantastic reality football player i think he's going to be a very high floor player this season with the rams with matthew stafford you go back and you look at the different profiles though of the players you know where they catch their passes what their target volume is how good they've been throughout their career woods is being drafted barely above his career high 
Landry is draft being drafted way below his career low. Uh, again, price matters, right? And so if you're going to do some things structurally like we've done, I mean, the, the prices matter all the way throughout. And so I, I really like Landry there. He's somebody else who kind of redeems or makes it a little bit easier to have taken some aggressive stances on the young receivers early. And then we also plan to take a pretty aggressive stance on one of these two receivers here at the 1002. Exactly. And and I've really liked that point that you've made a couple of different times about Landry, that he is so similar to Woods at such a later price. I mean, it really crystallizes it for me. So I, it, I have not taken a lot of Woods and I have also not taken a ton of Landry because these really receiver heavy builds, sometimes it feels like I want to be swinging at more upside in these ranges. I want to be taking these rookies that we're taking. Landry makes a lot of sense here. Like you said, we've already made some pretty big upside wide receiver swings. Landry is probably a guy we'll start every single week on this team. And so that's a very nice thing. We still have a lot of wide receiver upside. Even though he's our wide receiver five, we can only play four. I think he's one of our pretty clearly one of our top sort of weekly projected plays and also has the ceiling also has more upside than people recognize because the Browns could come out throwing a little more this year. They did a lot down the stretch last year. There's, you, you talked about how it's a similar bet to OBJ. So that is uh, an exciting thing. The the draft of the turn takes Herbert and then a receiver. Who was this receiver? It was Darnell Mooney. So we have our pick of the rookies. I have a lot of both. I'll leave it to you. I, I do too. And I have a little bit more Rondell, who I also think is the slightly better and perhaps higher upside play. He is the one who I, I said neither of them are going to get back. Once you're into this range, I mean, you can't be that definitive. I mean, there's always the slight chance he would get back. He also has the later buy, which I think might be something that helps as, you know, the first six weeks, we could be in a little bit of difficulty in terms of just being sure that all of our guys are healthy. So I'm going to go ahead and take Rondell, even though I think he does have the better chance to get back. He's also someone who... This Cardinals offense, I think we can have more confidence in the Jets offense. You've made the point that Jets are probably a little bit undervalued. I'm excited to see what they do. I think the Cardinals are going to come out scoring a ton of points. And if Rondell Moore gets some of these plays around the goal line, again, a little bit of a play off of this Robert Woods kind of thing. The Rams offense and the Cardinals offense are different, but they both use the receivers on some of these end aroundish plays where you're getting a, a fast wider receiver in. And again, there's this big contrast between wood speed and more speed. When you get this ball either through a handoff or a little tip pass to more, and he's flying around the edge, that's difficult for defenses. There's some potential big play element here. He's also a little bit of a discounter arbitrage play on uh, Debo Samuel, who we were disappointed not to get. I think that Rondell right there has the upside to be what Debo was two years ago, where he scored just a shade under 200 points as a rookie. Yeah, and so even though we started with three running backs early and we loved the Noah Fant value at 7-11 that still gave us some access to tight end ceiling, we have taken six receivers through the 10-02. We always talk about, you know, through round nine more or less, or we talked about that a lot on our last episode. Getting Landry and Moore here at the 9-10 turn felt really good. It's before sort of that drop-off that that is – pretty pronounced. I, you know, I mean, I, I can't say I'm comfortable with this receiver build with Waddle as our four and then Landry and Rondale. And we really have to rely on Higgins, Chenault and Juju to be very good and get, get into those upper bound outcomes that we think they certainly have the potential to do. And, and we're going to keep taking shots at receiver because of this, but it does show how we sort of recovered from what we feel like was a, a pretty strong gamble to, to start with three straight running backs to, to still sort of do that, but be sort of on the same kinds of philosophical lines as what we normally do. And I understand some people are going to be like, you're, you're just making this up as you go. <laughs> it probably seems like that, certainly. But I, I do, at least in my mind, I do see the difference here between taking these three running backs early and then really hammering receiver. And there was almost no way we were going to do anything other than taking receivers in, the, in six of the next seven picks. And, and then the, the types of drafts that will take running backs early and then continue to take running backs in the middle rounds. I mean, that's, that's, you just can't do. And just kind of looking through here, Ben, to, to emphasize that point uh, we do. I mean, some of the drafters don't have their 10th round pick yet. And so, I mean, that's a difference, but we were the first team to six wide receivers. 
And so that's something I always look at as well in terms of, you know, can you be the first to five? Can you be the first to six? And do you have the firepower there to hold on? And so again, for people who want to take running backs early, I think this is great because we're trying to show how we think the best way to execute that is and still accomplish what you need to accomplish at the other positions. We'll obviously track this draft in this league as we go throughout the season. And we hope that it works right. And we hope that kind of like we talked about Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, that those guys are all top five or six picks in next year's draft. That's what we had in our projecting the 2022 draft episode, or I had it that aggressively. Ben was a little bit more along the lines of what we probably would call actual reality, but, uh, but we like those guys. And so now we have our six receivers. We're now kind of into this fun area where we can attack the fun upside quarterbacks. Uh, it's never too early or it's not too early now to start thinking in terms of a Cole Komet at tight end to make sure we have enough tight end upside. So when we get back, we'll start uh, discussing how we can create the QB upside to give us a shot at the half a million dollars. So we're back on deck, Sean. Cole Komet just went off the board as well. Crap. Uh, <laughs> a lot of quarterbacks went. Trey Lance, Ryan Tannehill, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Tom Brady all went. Herbert's gone. Rodgers is gone. Joe Burrow and, and Matthew Stafford are the last two in this tier for me. I have Burrow at QB9. I have Stafford all the way back at QB15. You were just saying Stafford's an interesting way to play the idea that um, the Rams could be better be, without having to actually take the, the Rams players very high. Right. And and I've been out on the idea of the individual Rams at their prices. But Stafford is interesting because he can play it. And, and if he's the difference, then you get him as opposed to having to make the bet on these individual players that are pretty aggressively priced. So he's available for us here at 11. Then I think that who we want here is Henry Ruggs and take the kind of gamble on well i mean either stafford or burrow is going to come back but then we actually are going to have to make a, a somewhat tricky decision because terrace marshall is also someone that we want here and continuing to build out the receiver depth but let's go ahead we'll hit rugs and then we saw joe burrow go in round 14 yesterday we did have this qb run but that doesn't necessarily mean that it will continue everybody except for us now does have their first quarterback and the Trey Lance manager also has Tom Brady. And so they don't have to worry about coming back with it. The fields participant might come back with a QB. I mean, that would make some sense, but it's also possible now that the QBs fall through a couple of rounds and we still would get one of our guys pretty late. I would think I would kind of expect the fields owner there to take Stafford coming back. Do you have thoughts on QB with the way that, the rest of the league has built out at this point. Yeah, I mean, two people have two. The Allen, Jackson, Murray, Mahomes uh, managers don't have two. I think it's a oh, Marshall one on the turn. Okay. <laughs> no cream. All right, no cream. <laughs> Super trooper line. Just want cream? All right, no cream. So uh, maybe we're looking at Joe Burrow. <laughs> yeah, so we were liking Marshall as an option. Given that we have not taken DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson in this draft, it's an interesting, very interesting play. I think at that point, I like Marshall quite a bit. Actually, I I might might have preferred him to Rugs. I know you're very high on Rugs. I kind of like that we stacked Rugs with Waddle in the sense that like a lot of the reasons to be down on either of them are, are very correlated. And it's like, look, we already made this bet that the Alabama receivers are are better than you know. There's like two lines of thinking. They had so many good receivers. That's why some of their production metrics were down. Or then do you want do you want Stafford and and think Burrow comes back or you want Burrow clearly? I have Burrow quite a bit higher, and we do have Higgins. We're all in on Burrow. Let's just take him. Yeah. Okay. So we made we made the bet that we like. Okay, so Ben, it was a difficult decision between Burrow and Stafford. Stafford, a decent value here. I don't think that he can come back. Burrow might have been able to come back to us and would have given us both of those guys. But we're so heavily in on the Bengals, both on this team and other teams. I kind of like to keep making that bet. So I'm glad that you were also there with Burrow. Now, you were mentioning with Henry Ruggs, there's this idea uh, of kind of the Alabama wide receivers and how they fit. We, we kind of like Devontae Smith 
Obviously, we think Jerry Judy is going to bounce back. These four guys together, it's almost something like you were saying where the logic kind of suggests that they're going to all hit or all miss or any individual player we know can have a difficulty transitioning to the NFL. But I mean, if you're a believer in Waddle, who has been spectacular in camp and we picked pretty early, then there are some good reasons to believe that Henry Ruggs, especially if they're going to manufacture him touches, is pretty significantly undervalued where we got him. Well, Ben, we are back on the clock for our 13th round pick, and Jalen Rager has made it back to us. That was kind of what we had our fingers crossed for. Now, we know that he is uh, very much a massive range of outcomes type of player, but we're looking for these second-year bounce-back wide receivers along with the second-year breakout wide receivers or the post-hype guys, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, both Ruggs and Rager are second-year players, first-round draft capital, probably way too much being put into their first seasons in terms of us you know, reading into it a little bit too much. And especially when you just talk about from a cost-adjusted perspective, we get, to, we get to make these bets a lot later. They were going a lot higher last year. There's not a lot of year two receivers that wind up going later in year two. So good bets for this build, certainly upside. You know, this is a big thing that we talk about when when we're actually taking receivers in these ranges. We're taking young players that are going to be first-time breakouts. Our last three receiver picks are Rondell Moore, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rager. First-time breakouts. That's the that's the the hope, and that's where you know you can hit on Justin Jefferson or something like that. So that's that's and even if it's not Jefferson-esque, you know, you can hit on big big value gains, guys that will go in the in the even in the round six, round seven range next year potentially. And and that's what we're hoping we get out of some of these. There are six, seventh, and eighth receivers. Um, certainly not guys that we're gonna have to necessarily rely on, but but big swings. And I mean Rager again, you're talking about a guy who was a, a first round pick last season, had some great market share numbers, you know, jumps out of the gym, has been making these Odell Beckham like one-handed catches. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't great last year, and the offense probably will still be one of the weaker offenses, but the upside there in round 13, very compelling. Now, we have been kind of debating a little bit uh, in the break. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, Kenny Gainwell, Chuba Hubbard. Uh, you really like Hubbard here, and I'm guessing that that'll be our pick in round 14. That would be my selection. I also really like it with the three early running backs because we don't act like there's no scenario where the running back we take here is someone that's going to really crack our starting lineup without us being completely screwed. Hubbard looked amazing in the preseason. I know you really loved him as a prospect and he's just another guy that gives us potential massive late season running back firepower. Should something happen to McCaffrey. Okay. So we'll click on tube there. Yeah. You look at him in 2019 and he was as good as, or better than the guys who went in the first round this season. I like the speed, right? And I think that his profile works very well with what they want to do there in Carolina. Uh, we're hoping that it never comes into play because Christian McCaffrey is our favorite player. Like he's everybody else's favorite player. Um, we don't have the one-on-one. So from a fantasy perspective, we're hoping that the teams with the one-on-one kind of mess up that build that hasn't been the case today, but definitely hope that Christian McCaffrey stays healthy. Then as we're kind of looking to rounds 15 and 16, are there some things here that you think that we need to accomplish? Well, one more thing I want to say on the Hubbard Gainwell thing. I've had our time with Gainwell. We talked a little bit, a bit about it. I'm a little concerned about where the targets could come from, uh, you know, with Jalen Hurts at QB, all those things. You know, th- that's debatable. You made some strong kind of counterpoints as we were talking. But with Hubbard, one note that I didn't mention but I think is is interesting. With the new coaching staff last year, you know, I look at that trap stat, percentage of running back touches that are high-value touches and low-value touches – there's no team that had a higher percentage of the running back touches last year than Carolina. That's interesting because McCaffrey only played three games. So even when they went to Mike Davis, this new coaching staff, you know, a lot of that probably had to do with Teddy Bridgewater, right? Uh, I've mentioned that a ton as well, but um, the, the, the Bridgewater took a lot of these check downs and kept throwing to Mike Davis when you were like, just throw the ball down the field. Your team's down two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. I think in, in these, you know, in these scenarios where Hubbard, has a role in the scenarios where Gainwell has a role. The specific offenses tilt Hubbard's way in terms of what his high value touch profile could look like. And then that's, that was one of the big reasons that I I would prefer him there. Yeah. I just, for me, it's a little bit of a thing where I, I have a hard time imagining another year without Christian McCaffrey. It just, he's so much fun. 
And, but yeah, I mean, it's just like any other scenario. We don't know who's going to get hurt and we want to take the best players that we can take in each round. So we don't have a tight end two. We don't have a QB two. We don't have a running back five, but we're not remotely concerned about that. The next. I mean, I think we're pretty big dogs to take a running back five, right? Yeah, it's, it's unlikely. We have some other late round wide receivers that we like that we hope will get back to us there again when when you do take those running backs at the beginning you can actually take your wide receiver uh dream a little dream situation players at the very end and so we'll be doing a little bit more of that also looking here uh just to kind of preface it a little bit we have trevor lawrence matt ryan ryan fitzpatrick as guys who are in the queue at qb and we should probably also consider baker mayfield we have jarvis lane we took mayfield yesterday we could put tua in there we have ben we've talked a little bit about the sort of overstated value at times of this qb wide receiver stack but it is interesting that some of the guys that we do have in here their quarterbacks are not drafted early and uh, another possibility even just through waivers later on where we could have a unique build kind of going down the stretch where we have some players we think might be there at the end and then we'll have them mixed in with other guys who uh, probably will not be on those same teams definitely um i'm, I'm curious who you're, who you're thinking about you, you you're looking at juju with ben you're looking at rugs with Derek carr is that and jarvis with baker right jarvis with baker uh it, you know it's you look toward the end and you think, well, you know, if, if Tua takes the step forward and, and he's the Alabama version and Waddle is, well, I don't even know if you want the Alabama version of Waddle, but if he's this guy that he looks like with the Dolphins, then, you know, maybe you have a, a 10 target game from him. We're, we're obviously not exposed to Fuller in this draft, so we don't have to, and we can actually root against him a little bit, which we're unused to doing. But if Waddle ends up being the Jefferson of this season or obviously someone who's a little bit worse than that who doesn't break the rookie receiving record but is very very good then i mean is there any reason not to dream that he's going to be odell beckham right i mean it, as long as i mean this isn't the hot take show like we were doing yesterday but why not have waddle being the guy who scores 300 points I just want to take a second to thank you for tuning in to today's show. My name is Colin Kelly, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the great Sean Siegel. We do appreciate each and every listener, and as a thank you to each of you, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass. We're heading at full speed towards the season. Make sure you're ready. Get yourself access to all the content and tools up on the Road of His website. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout to get yourself that 10% discount. Now let's go and dominate those fantasy leagues in 2021. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, man, we are back on the clock in round 15. And uh, much to our surprise, Kenny Gamewell has slid all the way through. He is still there. And we did not want to take another running back, but a running back uh, with some 4-4 speed receiving ability a chance to take over if anything should happen to Miles Sanders. And I think be a, a bigger part of this. I mean, the, the bet we made last round, we can make again here with another fast rookie. Yeah, I think sort of a no-brainer. We only have the three running backs early. Um, and and with Hubbard and Gainwell, it's easy to just let them sit as our RB4 and RB5 with this really, you know, tons of early draft capital at the position. And, hope that they are essentially getting the opportunities that we think they could thrive in because both of them from a prospect perspective look great. And so, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty fun to, to add those two to this build. So then I'm going to ask a question. I think I know the answer to, but I was doing a little bit of reading on the Detroit lions. I mean, you, you got to check in on your Swift and, and Hawkinson picks every day. And Sam Wallace has written a new article for Rotoviz talking about some guys who might give you some cheap value late the Lions have been liking or supposedly like the way Amon Ross St. Brown has looked in training camp, and he's competing with Tyrell Williams and Quintez Cephas. I've actually been suggesting that Cephas is someone who, like in these 28-round drafts, you really need to have on your roster. Amon Ra, a late-round rookie with you know some question marks in his receiving profile there at USC, any interest in him or, I mean, have we already waited too long? I mean, KJ Hamler is it's now into round 16. I mean, you're selling me on that a little bit, but I, I'm going to have a really hard time taking him over KJ Hamler. And then another wide receiver target that we talked a little bit about was uh, Diami Brown, hopefully making it back in, in 17. We probably want to take a second tight end. I don't know how we can get Amon Ra on this roster unless one of those guys goes. But right now we're on the clock with Hamler there, and I just – no one has to sell me on Hamler and keeping that one at 100%. He is the only player on all five of my current main event teams. And like I like to throw out, it's always good to have your sort of 2021 McCole Hardman, the guy who is going to score zero points all season. It's better to have that in round 15 than in round 10. Uh, ben, we also mentioned that Column, our fantastic producer, his guy, Marquez Valdez Scantling, has been generating a ton of publicity over the last week in Packers camp. But you're telling me you're you're still not on board with MVS. Yeah, for me, it's just <laughs> I, I did move him up. I, you know, at, at last check, I had just added him to my rankings. I've now moved him actually one spot ahead of Amon Ross St. Brown. So there you go. He's all the way up to wide receiver 73 for me. And we are past that point in the draft. So if it was a perfectly efficient draft, I would be saying that he's draftable. I do still have Deami, Quez, Donovan Peoples-Jones ahead of him, who, who made a lot of buzz early in camp. My concern with Mar Marquez remains that I think this offense is so heavily, the, the passing game, where the targets go, sort of a projections-based point, which is potentially the completely wrong way to think about it. In most cases, it is. But you have Devontae Adams. You have Robert Tunyon. I expect to, to take a step forward in targets. You have the running backs are certainly going to be involved. I do think one of you know either Randall Cobb, probably Randall Cobb, or Amari Rogers is going to get a lot of volume in the slot. Not a ton, but enough. That that second outside receiver's receiver role is not one that's going to be a high target role in this offense. And especially for, for MVS, he's competing with Alan Lazard in that role. And I, do, I don't think Alan Lazard's going away. He was better from an efficiency standpoint. Basically, every season that he's played significant snaps, he's been a lot better than every season that Marcos Valdez-Scantlis has played significant snaps. So he's one of those guys that I think is improving. I don't think the role is really there or the maybe the talent, even with some improvement, is really there. So that's that's been my concern. I think that Lazard could sort of switch back to his 2019 target depth role and cause some more problems for 
MVS that way. But uh, I am a little bit intrigued. If he's getting some camp buzz, we know that he can break out for that big play. We know that the number two, even the number three receiver, and, and last year it was basically Robert Tanyan, right, who ended up doing this. Uh, but a huge touchdown upside kind of play. You don't have to catch a ton of passes or be a high-volume receiver to go to double-digit scores with Aaron Rodgers as your QB. So something to, to think about there. We do have three interesting guys at wide receiver, which gives us a little bit more confidence that someone will come back. Then we were looking at a second tight end. And from a historical perspective, it just it really doesn't make sense. We know that people get excited about the rookies and then at tight end, they don't give you what you need. But I look at Kyle Pitts in round three and I look at Pat Ferramuth at the end of drafts and I think that those guys are actually going to finish closer than that gap suggests. Yeah, you've made that point a couple different times. I think it's a great way of thinking of it. At the very least, uh, you have to love that they talk so much about his hands. They talk about his um, prowess in the red zone. And you think back to Eric Ebron's career with some memorable drops and some things. I mean, we know drops don't matter, but from a coaching perspective and the fact that they're emphasizing Fermi's hands so much it's at least a little bit interesting to me that uh we might have the opportunity it's at least a little bit interesting to me that he might get that opportunity at the red zone and be this guy who you know we know rookie tight ends don't break out we also know trends are meant to be broken one of the ways i put this to somebody who's asking about Fermi's was a decade ago we we all believed oh there he goes but a decade ago we all believed that rookie quarterbacks couldn't produce. And and now we collectively are all completely beyond that and, and don't even consider that anymore. I don't think it's, you know, going to be a forever thing that tight ends can't produce uh, in year one. It just has never happened, <laughs> but that doesn't mean it can't happen. And it would be really interesting if this was the year that two were very productive in year one. And I don't think that's that impossible, especially as much as you have said about free mid. So you have some of that sort of rookie year, he's amazing type upside. Um, but at the very least he could have seven or eight touchdowns, which would be pretty nice. It would. And it is funny to read about the Steelers because I mean, it's almost gleeful the way the writers and even some of the teammates and, and things will put it because you made the point about the hands, obviously Eric Ebron also cannot block. And so you, you, you read about their practices and like, you know, Fermuth, he's making these amazing catches and Fermuth, he's, you know, he's driving these defenders, uh, into the secondary on the blocking. They're like, <laughs> Eric Ebron is dropping passes and obviously is just standing on the sidelines on running plays. So like, how is Ebron even going to get out there and play? It is interesting in this draft, Ebron is still on the board and Fermworth goes early. So uh, we're not the only people thinking of it in that light a little bit. Our two wide receiver targets did go Amon Ra, St. Brown gone, MVS gone. Diami's still here. We have moved Josh Palmer into the equation. <laughs> and you and I, we're skeptics of this profile and you know we don't want to give the impression that we're rooting against guys we're definitely not right it's simply a matter of again historically players who come to the nfl without any collegiate success they just they don't make it right you can look through the guys who jump up and become big weapons in college kind of out of nowhere they're players who were underdrafted but were productive in college or guys who were freakishly athletic and still had some production you know palmer is in, in this kind of weird dynamic, but he was, you know, vaguely on the same team with Marquez Callaway. You know, he's looked great for the Saints. And we were both stunned when the Chargers cut Tyron Johnson. Palmer has been the star of training camp in an offense now where it's actually very difficult to see where the targets are going to go outside of going to Keenan Allen. Yeah. And if Keenan Allen were to get hurt, we were just talking a little bit um, in between picks. Mike Williams has never been target dominant. And and Jalen Guyton had one of the lowest targets per out run, perhaps the lowest of you know with a qualifying routes run number. It was a uh, I think nine point one percent, which is incredibly low. You know, almost everyone gets targeted at least ten percent of the time, and so that's one of the big reasons I was excited about Tyron Johnson. But yeah, I mean, in a scenario where Keenan Allen gets hurt, we were just kind of talking about this. I'm thinking through it and going, the the Chargers have kind of screwed Justin Herbert <laughs> if if Keenan Allen isn't there he's going to be thrown to three wide receiver sets of guys who can't earn targets, none of them. And then he's going to have Jared Cook at tight end. You don't even have Hunter Henry anymore. It's you're going to be thrown to Austin Eckler every single down, I guess. But 
it's going to be pretty rough for the second-year player. Um, that's a real concern. Obviously, it leaves Josh Palmer out there. The other guy I have uh, have mentioned to you, Sean, that we don't have in our queue right now is Quez Watkins. What do you think? Yeah, that, and that's a way to play that rigor pick in case that we are wrong. Colm and I did that in one of our drafts. We took both of those guys, and I think that is a way to play it. So we have the two picks left. We're three picks away. If we use them both at wide receiver, then we only have the one QB, the one tight end. That would be a very aggressive way to go into the season. Uh, we do still have the early waivers period. We could make some adjustments there. From that perspective, do you have any thoughts? So Tua did go, and Ryan Fitzpatrick did go, but Matt Ryan still available here, and Baker Mayfield still available here. So it, the options are there. One of the things with the QBs that can be a little bit frustrating is like, okay, we'll just do it in free agency, but then they go like in rounds 19 and 20. And now week one, especially when we have a quarterback who, I mean, he's going to play in week one, right? So we're probably going to play him either way, but there is some question about the health there. And we've taken a team that does have a number of week one health question marks, and we're hoping to get a little bit of a value as a result. We'll see how that plays out. That is a little bit of a risky maneuver. Do you want to? Uh, I'm kind of assuming that we're taking the best player, but do we also have uh, some positional things that we want to address in these last two picks before we have our kicker in our defense? Well, um, my thought, but even beyond the the QB, was the potential for a number two tight end, like you know, all world Tyler Croft. But I, I have no issue just going receiver, receiver as well, or taking that QB. I, I think. Mayfield especially would be really interesting with the Landry play already. If you want to get that backup QB. Yeah. My thought was take a swing at a late, a late tight end as well, but we're on the clock. Now we still have Tiami Brown available as my top receiver. And then, and then Quez and, and uh, who's the, Oh, Josh Palmer was the other one we put on our list. Amon Ra and, and MVS both did go. So are you thinking Tiami here? I think so. It's just, especially with our desire to just load up on all of the receivers that we like, he's too hard to pass. That means we are going to either have one QB or one tight end with this group. I am okay with that, uh, especially early. You can manage your QB issues on the waiver wire. Once you get into the heavy buys, you really can get caught. So you, you want to watch out for that. But we now have a choice of Croft, Mayfield or Palmer here. I don't have any sort of a read on Croft. And so I'm perfectly happy to take him. If you would like him, we can take Mayfield and get, get a look at him in week so my one. Thought, yeah, I, I, I'm totally fine with Mayfield. My thought is there's more redundancy there. If Croft is, you know, comes out and gets seven or eight targets in week one, then there's not a lot of other tight ends that are even going to be comparable, obviously. And so that was, that's my thought. I, I am I feel like you you like to get a backup quarterback more than a backup tight end, maybe structurally. Uh, no, not necessarily. Kind of the best player at the end, and I think that you're right. I mean, Croft, he's not someone that we'll be able to get in waivers if he does go off in the first week. So we'll play him there. There has been a lot of buzz on him. You're on him. I like that way of doing it. Uh, we can address the QB position uh, even before the season, but, but like we said, definitely after the first week. One of the things, I, again, and, and, I, and this does really strongly come into play, is that you want to think in terms of these last picks as still mattering, even though they're probably not going to matter. And you want to think in terms of if I'm right, or not even if you're right, but just depending on the different scenarios that happen, what is it going to cost? If Baker Mayfield <laughs> throws for 350 yards and four touchdowns in week one, I mean, you don't know for sure. In any given league, the number could be really high. But in general, he is not going to be expensive to buy in waivers. Like you mentioned, if Tyler Croft gets six or seven targets, you know, catches some of them, scores a touchdown, he's going to be very expensive. And so in terms of managing your your bidding dollars, that's a pretty important distinction. So I'm glad that we that we leaned that direction, made that pick. Go. That's exactly uh, sort of the way I was thinking, and I'm probably pattern matching a little bit too much, but I really liked taking Logan Thomas at the very end for these same reasons in, in a couple high stakes last year, including the one that did very well. We ended up holding him all year, but that was the thought last year, and it, it worked out, right? Because Logan Thomas, even though he wasn't good early, started getting volume right away, 
he didn't catch a bunch, so he probably was still cheap for the people who picked him up, but certainly, you know, came on and, and had a role and, and became somebody that people were targeting as a, a pickup in these deep tight and premium leagues. So I don't think Croft's going to be as good as Logan Thomas at all. That is a, a very rare scenario where a tight end comes out of nowhere and gets 110 targets. I want to be very clear about that. But I do think Croft has scenarios where where he gets, you know, I think I feel the really upside while drinking scenario uh, on, on ship chasing of 90 or 100 targets. E- even approaching that would be a pretty huge win at this point as our backup tight end. It would. It would. And so, Ben, we're going to, again, take a, a tiny little break here. When we come back, we'll be looking at our kicker and defense, and then we'll recap our second main event before you look at some of the other teams a little bit, try and figure out who we're going to have to beat if we want to take down the league title on our way to winning half a million dollars. Ben, we are back on the clock in round 19. We need a defense. We need a kicker. We're looking at the Seattle Seahawks potentially on defense. They have the Colts in week one. We have Matt Prater, our Denny Carter special, the Cardinals kicker. We expect them to score a lot of points. Uh, The team in between us already has a defense, so I'm thinking maybe kicker, and then we try and get Seattle. We did lose our uh, our Carolina defense pick. They went defense nine. <laughs> Those who've been reading my work, listening to us, listening to you over on on order of his overtime, know that the Carolina is a fun a fun defense pick. They are, and then they're maybe the most clear cut week one matchup based play. The Seahawks defense was more effective down the stretch last year. Some of that due to the fact that they really took the air out of the ball. And what we need in fantasy are some shootouts where a defense, you know, creates some sacks, creates some turnovers, but against the Colts, the Colts have had a a tumultuous training camp and they have a lot of questions going into week one. If the Seahawks are able to get up on them, I think that, you know, really all hell could break loose there for, for Carson Wentz and company. Yeah, definitely. I uh, would also note that we have not seen Baker Mayfield go yet. So that is interesting and something that we can hopefully hope hope last through the 20th round in week one. And, and he could be somebody that we could consider adding um, as we go forward. That's a good point. We are now on Baker Mayfield watch. He's got to get through nine more picks to stay out there on waivers for us then uh, mention quickly we have talked about this on the other shows but zach wilson someone else who could be an interesting pick in terms yeah. of uh, i mean looks undervalued for fantasy yeah i have him in the exact same tier as baker and ryan and even fitzpatrick Tua, lawrence he looked good in the preseason has a little mobility has a big arm don't wind up taking him anywhere because it's almost like if he's I mean, I, I think maybe it, it makes some sense to get some exposure to him at some point because if he is good right away, it's probably going to be a little bit more expensive to grab. But it does feel like in, in so many of these leagues he goes undrafted that I can get some exposure later. But I don't really understand why, like, Kirk Cousins went in this draft, why Kirk Cousins gets drafted before Zach Wilson. Those types of picks to me, I don't get. I think we know what Kirk Cousins is, and I think we should be betting on the uh, the upside and uncertainty in, uh, of Zach Wilson before we make a pick like that. And and Cousins in round 19, uh, you know, you can understand why that would be a safe way to play with Kyler Murray. I don't know that you need to go into the season with a number two QB when you have Kyler Murray, but you can understand that he's got the two elite wide receivers. I think that some of the hope that this team became a little bit more high powered through the air uh, disappeared with Irv Smith going down because uh, he really did look to be on the verge of a breakout. I think with just the two receivers there, we're looking at a pretty vanilla offense. A vanilla offense with two guys who could be stars, right? If Adam Thielen's actually able to get a little bit more uh, receiving volume again this year, it's, it's easy to kind of miss the fact if you're just looking back on last year's fantasy points that Adam Thielen was almost exclusively a red zone guy uh, for much of last season and all that yardage goes through Justin Jefferson. But yeah, when we're talking about upside and you're talking about playing this, the, the QB2 maybe to start the season it doesn't make as much sense to have the safe guy since there are going to be some people on waivers. But uh, as soon as those buys start to come into play, then thanks. And then we can now announce Deshaun Watson goes up to 2010. Uh, it, it's still impossible to say for sure that he will not 
play everything that you read suggests that he won't but the nfl is an odd place and if he is not actually suspended there's going to be some temptation for either the texans or some other team to play him but the breaking news there is that baker mayfield does get all the way through so we have our first free agent target already lined up to go we're now to the recap phase and we can look at this team and say yes we did start with the three running backs we wanted to again let people know that we are willing to break structure in the right circumstances we are willing to get our guys because that part does matter and then there are things tactically that we want to do if we break structure early right we wound up with 10 wide receivers one of the things that we talked about not on the show but sort of in between rounds is that we were very likely to be taking Sean, I think you you put it as it would it would be kind of a fun thing if we just sort of restricted ourselves to or ourselves to only rookie or second year receivers. We didn't we didn't do that. We didn't you know make a make a rule on that. But it actually, as it turned out, we only took two receivers out of ten that weren't rookie or second year receivers. It was uh, Juju and Landry who were sort of you know. I guess you could call them safer picks in some respects. We think they're good values, but Higgins, Chenault, Waddle, Rondell Moore, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rager, KJ Hamler, and De'Ami Brown late eight receivers that are either first year or second year players. We're looking for guys that will make huge jumps to sort of overcome the gap that we didn't take any of the first 14 receivers. We did not take another running back after those first three until very late, until the 14th round when we got a really good value on Chuba Hubbard. And then we also took Gainwell at a very good ADP discount in the 15th round, a couple of guys that, that round out our, our running back room pretty well because they have basically no pads, but we do really believe in them as prospects. They're both rookies as well. Um, and guys that if they did get the opportunity could be very, very good. Uh, give us a little bit more running back ceiling just in case our top three picks don't pan out. We took Noah Fant as an explosive upside tight end. We took Joe Burrow as a quarterback that we think could be very, very good this year, even a little bit ahead of ADP on him. So a lot of aggressive picks really built in a ton of upside for the rest of our team after we started with a pretty risky build, frankly, to go with three straight running backs to start. It was, and it becomes riskier when you consider that Barkley and Swift do have some injury issues. Of course, without those injury issues, they would be going much earlier. We wanted to take the discount. Then one of the things that we did to save a roster spot after we made those three running back selections was to take only one QB, another injury discount, but someone we do think will play in week one. We're hoping we'll play well in week one. We only have Joe Burrow. We are one of four teams, which I think is kind of interesting, to only take one qb so there could be some competition for a couple of those most interesting free agent quarterbacks after everybody gets a chance to look at the first season or i mean it's their first week unfortunately for us i think you could say that it's not ideal that the the 101 the christian mccaffrey participant was one of the guys to only take one qb because now he's getting a chance to look at more players on his roster bid through there the Josh Allen, <laughs> need to get that name right. The Josh Allen manager only takes one QB and the Justin Herbert manager only takes one QB. So an uh, interesting way to play that. Uh, do you like having the one quarterback in this situation? A couple other guys who went, oh, I mentioned Zach Wilson, but Mac Jones went uh, fairly early. And by fairly early for Mac Jones, still just like, you know, 15th, 16th round yesterday, he also slides through. So not just one name when we're looking at, at potential waiver options yeah i actually like that i i think you know we might have some competition to your point but some of these managers might just be liking to to make the bet on a one one quarterback like the josh allen one especially might simply be planning to carry just josh allen for an extended period of time until the until that bye week hits um i will say with the christian mccaffrey roster six receivers in the next nine rounds, but then doesn't take another receiver the rest of the draft. A.J. Brown, Deontay Johnson, Robbie Anderson, Michael Pittman, Will Fuller, Marquise Brown. Getting Fuller there was a, a little bit of a, a thorn on our side. I'm, I'm fine with the Marquise Brown value at 10-12. Those are decent enough receivers, but at the same time, 
if we're trying to look for ways that the Christian McCaffrey drafter doesn't have as great of a roster as we're sort of concerned about, you know, if, if, if all these receivers don't pan out, that could be a, a thin spot on this roster. Took a ton of running backs late and some good, interesting ones for sure. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, and you look at those receivers, I guess the number seems a little thin to me when you look at some of who some of the guys are. Robbie Anderson, we really like, but there's a scenario where he's kind of a hit or miss kind of player. In the sixth round, a wide receiver 32, not a lock with what Marshall is doing. When I say not a lock, not a lock to be an impact player. I mean, he's, he's going to be someone you can slide in. Michael Pittman, that's a real hit or miss with both his profile and the situation there with the Colts. Now with T.Y. Hilton out, perhaps you're looking at target volume being a little bit better, but uh, that could be an offense where, you know, all you have to do is look back to last year with Philadelphia and it, it can be pretty tricky if the overall offense doesn't work. And then Mars Keese Brown could be very much a hit or miss and not just a hit or miss on a seasonal perspective, but week to week, he could be a pretty tricky guy to play. So you might want more overall firepower there at wide receiver it does have some options and you can say well if those some of those are hit or miss guys as long as some of them do hit then he'll be fine he did also have our Fairmouth pick at the end uh i like half of the running backs and get given how many he took late then maybe that's enough right damian williams uh, probably overpaid for but within the context of the overall uh, team there is fine uh, wayne gallman <laughs> could be very interesting Jarek mckinnon could be very interesting it's interesting to see kylan Hill on that team in round 16, uh, Ben, that is a bet against your A.J. Dillon thesis, so I know that you won't like that. When we look at the team two, Alvin Kamara, George Kittle, C.D. Lamb, D.J. Moore, Jerry Judy, uh, even has Trey Sermon, someone we've been targeting a little bit, then has the Thursday night exposure with Antonio Brown, Michael Gallup, comes back with A.J. Dillon, again our guy. He has Tom Brady, you know, more Thursday night exposure, and then Trey Lance for the overall upside once he's back. Uh, this is looking like a team that I think might be the favorite. Yeah, that's probably my favorite team in this room. Also took Giovanni Bernard. We don't know what, uh, you know whether he would even play Thursday night, but there's some possibilities that he might still play and have a really nice game. And then he would, in that scenario, presumably sit both Sermon and A.J. Dillon and get those Gio Bernard points, say Gio catches six or seven balls. So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting team here and really like the receivers, especially in runs three to five, Lamb, Moore, Judy. I mean, come on. And then, yeah, Sermon, Kamara, Kittle. It would be fun to pick from, from the first or second slot. I mean, it seems like you can build pretty good teams there. We wouldn't know, but it, it does seem <laughs> – it seems like a, a fun thing to do. We have a team drafting out of six that starts Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, Robert Woods, Gus Edwards, Chase Claypool, Miles Gaston, Gaskin, Sony Michelle, Mike Gesicki, James Conner, Elijah Moore. Uh, sort of an interesting mix there in that you have the three wide receivers start. We like that. I mean, Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson as your start is just, uh, I mean, that's an absolute home run. That's very exciting. And then, I mean, I would argue that Edwards, Gaskin, Michelle, all substantially overdrafted but we love james connor we love uh elijah moore in round 10 and so this is an interesting team with a mix of early wide receiver firepower you know chase claypool could easily outperform the fifth round pick justin fields as the qb gives you a lot of late round upside there so they have an extra pick because they didn't use one on the quarterback do you like this sort of wide receiver heavy start that we have right here yeah, I agree with you that Adam Jefferson was a great start. I don't like Robert Woods, Gus Edwards in rounds three, four. And so that is where things sort of stumble for me. And and then, you know, to Gaskin, Michelle, Gasicki, Connor in rounds six through nine would have liked to see a receiver there as well. So I, I agree with you as well about Elijah Moore and Justin Fields and, and even maybe Gabriel Davis and some of these picks later could be really interesting. It could be a fun team, but... Certainly not the way I would have played it in the early, or excuse me, the middle single-digit round, starting in about round three, the middle of the third round, with the Robert Woods pick and then the Edwards pick. So one of the things in this draft that I think does come into play pretty significantly in terms of how I see it is there are a lot of running backs drafted in what I would consider to be sort of the 2021 running back dead zone. 
And I think that helps us with the start that we had. And so when we mentioned that we were the first team to get to six wide receivers, we were the only team to start running back times three, which I, I mean, if I lived my entire life without saying that phrase, it would not have surprised me. There were a couple of teams that started running back, running back and came back with a variety of receivers. So we have a, a Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon team that goes Terry McLaurin, Mike Evans, Julio Jones. We have a team that starts Ezekiel Elliott, Najee Harris, and then goes Allen, Godwin, Ayuk, Boyd. Uh, both of those teams, pretty interesting. If they had actually stuck with receiver at that point, I think they would have been in pretty good shape. Yeah, the the Evans-Julio picks are a little tough for me on the, the Dalvin Cook roster, and then no receivers from six to nine, and then comes back with Marvin Jones, Devontae Parker later. A lot of sort of the veteran wide receiver plays, the – I'm projecting a lot of targets. I'm projecting a lot of roles type play, a big role type plays. Not, not not necessarily the way that I like to put the wide receiver position, right? And then the five, the, the five holes a little more interesting, I would say. Those four receivers you mentioned more in line with the kinds of guys that we might pick. Mostert in round seven that goes back with Brandon Cooks. I think that round round eight pick could have been a better receiver, probably. I like Jacoby Myers in round ten. Uh, I don't think you're as high on Myers as I am, but I'm pretty excited about Jacoby Myers. And so, yeah, I mean, that that Team 5 could be pretty interesting as well. Given what we saw from Aguilar last season, where uh, it's kind of an interesting deal, where Derek Carr not getting a lot of credit for unlocking him, Aguilar not necessarily getting a lot of credit for the bounce back, and then you know gets paid by the Patriots, there's going to be a little bit of you know this transition time. We know that receivers who kind of make a free agent move at that point in their careers historically underperform a little bit. And I would be especially concerned with someone who uh, you know has this kind of little sort of mini peak season and then immediately leaves the environment that allowed him to do that. But you know Aguilar, he actually had one solid season earlier with Philadelphia, former first round pick, you know, decent athlete. Is there is there not a situation where he might be kind of the the way to play this team? You get him less expensively still, and this tenth round pick. You know, I, I like Myers, but he only happened one pick ahead of Elijah Moore. Happens with Henry Ruggs and Terrace Marshall still on the board. Is I I, I love the story, right? Anytime that someone who you know comes from either late draft spot or undrafted fights through. There have been times during this little stretch here where Myers clearly wasn't someone New England really believed in. And even if you look at the offseason, I mean, they're kind of hoping that Nikhil Harry can emerge. You know, he had kind of that same sort of training camp uh, that we see from, say, a Mike Williams, a Devontae Parker. You, you've got to throw it to him when he's covered. And so that's tricky. And then they add these other receivers on top. They add the tight ends on top. It doesn't look like the Patriots believe in him, and yet he's fought through all of that and does seem to be the pretty clear number one. But with Mac Jones, and, and I'm a big Mac Jones fan, have him on a huge number of Superflex Dynasty teams, it, it seems like this price might be a little bit aggressive still uh, with you know Marvin Jones still there, Marquise Brown still there. So I guess it's just a price thing for me. I, I'm rooting for him, and I think that he will be a good reality player. You just said Marvin Jones still there. Come on, no one's no one's buying that. No one's buying that Marvin Jones was the player that you you had an issue with on the price. No, but uh, I I do think all of the things that you just said are are very interesting, especially sort of the the Nelson Aguilar point that them not believing in him very true. If you go back and look at his game log last year, he barely played the first like I think six weeks, but then from that point on was very active. He like he literally barely played. So now I'm going to use pace stats, and people are going to say, well, you can't just extrapolate well. He went from almost not playing at all to playing pretty close to full time. And from that point forward, I think it was like the, the final 11 games or whatever. He paced for over a thousand yards. He paced for something like 80 catches, zero touchdowns so far in his first two years. So he probably doesn't look very efficient in things like, um, you know, re re the receiving fantasy points over expectation metric over at Rotoviz. But I do think that is a pretty fluky outcome for him so far that he has not scored a touchdown. He did score one in the preseason already. He reportedly has been scoring some in, in camp that I've been seeing some reports on. The, the big point on Myers would be, for me, the reason to bet on him, the reason to take him. I do think it is a little pricey in the middle of the 10th. But the reason to take him, I mean, one pick behind Elijah Moore is probably the better way to put it. 
But the reason to take him is he got his targets per out run last year up to 24%. It was 15th highest in the NFL. A lot of people have pointed out, oh, he was Cam's guy. At the same time, earning targets is earning targets. And he was very, very good. He had a you know a higher yards per out run than, than Aguilar even did last year. And specifically through earning targets, his yards per target was quite a bit lower than Aguilar. Aguilar's big year had a lot of big plays on it. 18.7% targets per out run, solid, very solid, but he's never been a he's never had a 20% targets per out run season, which is you know where you start to get into the good range. Being up at 24% of your routes being targeted on like Myers is where you get to really, really strong. Like I said, 15, uh, 15th overall at wide receiver in the NFL among all receivers. No, you know, no routes run uh minimum, I don't believe, uh, on that stat from the data that I've looked at. And and that's higher than, you know, like even like Tyree Kill and some of these guys, which that's not the stat that's going to define Tyree Kill because it's just, you know, targets per outrun. But there's a lot of really good players that are in that range. And so that's sort of the, the bet on Myers is that he was this late round guy, took a little while to establish early last year, wasn't even getting played even in the second year after having a pretty good rookie season, but really did establish last year. And, and then to your point, even in the off season, maybe it wasn't the guy they wanted. And yet now they've sort of acknowledged that he's going to be the guy. He winds up being the clear number one. That's sort of the the bold take. Uh, you know, if this was our last our last draft and we were doing the bold takes at every pick, and we were to take him, I would say he's very clearly the the wide receiver one in terms of in terms of earning targets. He's also been efficient uh, on the targets he has seen over nine yards per target both seasons. So, do you have Kendrick Bourne in your list of things you're considering right there? No. <laughs> Maybe I should. You love Kendrick Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, that would be uh, the the huge, um, it's a huge range of outcomes type play on, on Myers. Th- those would be the guys that if, if Myers is not the clear number one, then he's a bad pick there. Well, I, I hope that that is right because I am rooting for and mildly betting on this scenario where the Patriots come out a little bit more aggressively. Mac Jones looks pretty good. They do more than just handing off to Damian Harris and having him run into the line. And he's priced based on the idea that that is what is going to happen. And he's also going to score some touchdowns. So uh, we have some interesting prices on Patriots players. For anyone who was thinking, oh, I should draft Nelson Aguilar. He did go at the 16.04 wide receiver 75. Uh, Still in that range, we prefer KJ Hamler, but he is someone who is in the NFL. So uh, then any other teams that we need to look at here? The the 10th <laughs> pick had Darren Waller, Calvin Ridley, Patrick Mahomes as the start. I think the kind of fun thing here is they're kind of going for this elite starting lineup. From time to time, I talk about how, especially in shallow leagues and home leagues, I think that people who are reading a bunch of experts and thinking, okay, I need to get all this depth when you know your lineup doesn't justify that and all these guys are going to be on waivers, you know, make sure you get the starts. You know, get Patrick Mahomes, get Darren Waller. Maybe it doesn't make quite as much sense in a main event with the deeper lineup, but I do, even though I don't do it myself, I do like the people who just, you know, draft these guys and go after them. Sigmund Bloom does that a lot in our Apex Experts draft, and I appreciate that he's willing to not do the same thing that everybody else does. Do you have thoughts on this team? The only running back they have through five rounds is Chris Carson. A pretty decent price on him compared to some of the things we've seen recently, the 403, uh, before we would consider him, but he could score a lot of points this year for the Seahawks. You know, they have Jamar Chase, uh, Kenny Galladay, Mike Williams in rounds seven and eight. A month ago, those would have looked like good prices, but those two players have, have really seen at least their early season upside uh, kind of go in the tank. Yeah, then Mikael Hardman as the wide receiver five, who you keep pointing out, might not have as much production again as as his ADP suggests. So there's some concerns there if if Jamar Chase as well doesn't come on early, that the receiver depth, you know, that's just always just clip, copy, paste all my comments on receiver depth in the past. That that's my concern certainly, but I think it is interesting, like you said, the Waller and Mahomes plays, and yeah, not not the type of team we would draft, but could be. Could be an all right squad. Well, this has been fun. We'll see kind of what the next week develops like. As we've talked about before, we're going to have a little bit different structure in the end season, but we're going to do lots of cool stuff for you. We've been loving the Stealing Bananas community. Uh, That'll do it for our special episode, our special FFPC main event draft episode. We are going for the half a million dollars. Uh, Ben, if we can win a few of these leagues, we will be happy. Uh, I shouldn't say that. We're going for the half a million dollars. So, 
that'll do it for us today. I'm Sean Siegel with me as always is Ben Gretsch. You can follow him at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you subscribe to his Substack, Stealing Signals. It's the best newsletter in the fantasy community. And we can see from some of the draft trends of the last week, and especially now with the Carolina Panthers defense, people are changing their boards around listening to Ben. You want to be ahead of the game. Uh, get that right when it drops. Uh, if you can, if you're interested, we've got a ton of fun content at Rotoviz. We have routes, we have broken tackles, all those things that maybe you're like, oh, we have to do Rotoviz and something else. You don't have to anymore. Subscribe to us. You get 10% off using the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Ben, we've been loving the, the community. They've done just uh, really much more than I could have ever anticipated with the ratings and reviews. Uh, if you can get on your favorite podcast app and leave us one, we always appreciate that. Subscribe to the feed. You'll get these shows. Not all of the shows come out on the Rotoviz Radio main feed. Some of the specials like this uh, come out either earlier or only on the Ceiling Bananas feed. Make sure you subscribe there. Uh, I'm Sean. This has been. We'll be back soon. Good luck this week in your drafts. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.